from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 470. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason. Avengers Assemble! Okay. Or something. I don't know. Are we Summer of fun! Summer of fun, indeed. Summer of fun. Summer of we had a conversation before the show about the Avengers, which is... Yes, and about Banana Man. Yep. UK superhero Banana Man. Who I had never heard of. No. Okay, so quick primer. Banana Man uh, was a superhero-like character uh, from a comic called The Dandy. Uh, Banana Man was a boy, and when he ate a banana, he turned into a superhero called Banana Man. Yeah. Potassium. We were talking about that It's good for you, kids. The show. I mean, it feels like maybe there's like some Popeye in there a little bit, you know? Maybe sure. maybe this was like financed <laughs> by the banana board or something. I, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is it feels a little bit like some money from the banana sellers went toward mm-hmm. this. <laughs> I want to be an adult and lose that innocence of childhood. <laughs> there's always money in the banana stand. In the banana stand, it's true. There always is... I have a snow tall question to open today's show correctly, oh, rather than what we yeah. just opened with. Comes mm-hmm. from Ramon, who asks, "What is the first thing that you do to decompress after recording a podcast?" Oh, I, I I'm I'm curious about your answer here too, but I'll, I'll answer first. Um, a lot of times when I finish a podcast, there's ancillary work to be done, so I'm not allowed to decompress. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like for an incomparable podcast, when I finish, I collect all the files. I have to upload the bootleg if it's a uh, TPK or something we have video I have to take the video file that was done on the live stream and encode that and post it for the people because members can get it as a video podcast there's a whole pass it on to the editor like there's a whole bunch of stu- steps that happen before I can even step away um, and then for those which are usually in the evening what I do to decompress is you know walk out like a zombie into my living room and my wife and i will watch something on tv that does not require much of my brain and that's about it for upgrade lately it's been really tough because of our new video uh, mm-hmm. venture that we're doing when i'm done with upgrade I, I mean i will get up and and like move my legs around and maybe get a cup of tea or get something to drink or something like that but then i come right back here and get Mike's video file and my video file and put them together in Final Cut. And I look at the show notes to see what we've got as our markers for uh, clips that we might want to generate. And right now I'm generating those clips and then passing them on to Jamie, our social media intern. Um, so, yeah, uh, probably usually after that, it, it is like I'm making lunch or I'm walking the dog or some combination thereof. Um but but it is true, and I wonder if you find this, Mike, that after doing a podcast and having that kind of intensity, um, my brain needs a break <laughs> after that. It really does. Like You can feel like I need to do something else for a little while because uh, my brain's a little melted. Um, I, I have that feeling sometimes, but rarely. I think I've been doing this for so long and so often, I just carry on with whatever the next thing is in my day. Like, it doesn't... There are times where, you know, like some Cortex episodes, me and Gray are like on the phone for like six hours, right? And after yeah. those, I'm, I need a little bit of a break. But like when we're done with Upgrade, today what I'll do is I'll go uh, do my journal because it's time for journaling. I'll pack up my bag and I'll go home. Like I, 
yeah, but that's a, that, that's a most... that's a reasonable break. That's like me yeah. getting up and and going and and making myself lunch or or just getting a drink and then coming back and jumping back in because yeah. I can't. I mean, I have to work the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So that 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 much is true. I don't know. There's something about the incomparable. Maybe it's that it's in the evening and also that I'm doing the you know I'm doing the hosting and arbitrating between many panelists. Mm-hmm. But that that one that's seems one. more strenuous yeah. than. Then, but this one, I still, you know, I still want to take a little bit of a break. I don't want to remain seated and then just begin the video. I at least try to stretch my legs and, and like I said, you know, have a get a soda or whatever, just something to to break the monotony. Yeah, I think for me, like most days where I record a podcast, I am recording multiple podcasts, so it's like I just I've gotten Oof. used to that. I just go to right. the next one. Marathon man. That is, that's a lot. That's a but lot. I've done it this way since the very beginning. So like for me, this is, it's just normal. But I do know that like, and I understand like it's, it's like if you have any long meeting, like if you have like a two hour meeting. Yeah. Like it's just it's, a little tactic. Tiring, you want to, right? you want to take a, you want to take a little refresher. So usually mm-hmm. for me, that'll be a, you know, something like walk the dog or, or, or make some lunch or just something to, to have like, cause also working at home. Um, a lot of what I do is sort of like, uh, trying to create little gaps, little refreshment gaps where it's like, okay, I'm going to stop yeah. doing this. I'm going to take a little tiny gap and it doesn't That's have to good. be long even. And then I'm going to jump into this next thing. Cause I want there to, I, I don't want to feel like I've just stayed on the treadmill. I want to have a little bit more beyond that. Yeah. I mean, like there are lots of productivity, like, uh, thinkings that subscribe to that fear like the pomodoro technique or whatever right, right. like that you would that you're supposed to work intensely take a break right. work intensely like it's honestly after break. after sitting here for two hours doing this podcast the i know that that final cut task right now is going to take some time yeah and i want to give myself a little bit of a gap before i sit back down to do that you know five minutes even because having that going from one level of intensity to another level of intensity all without a little bit of a gap is is a bit much. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, it's a good question. It is. It's, it, question. it's funny, and and you're right, Mike, to point out that the the level of difficulty can really vary between podcasts, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I you know, if I talk to Scott McNulty about a Star Trek episode or something like that, oh, that's not, that's like not even work. It's not a problem. But if I'm if I'm wrangling five panelists on the Incomparable, or you know, spending two hours in front of a video camera for Twit for MacBreak Weekly, right? Like that's the, those are more intense. <laughs> that's a different <laughs> because thing. there's a more focus and and you're on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you would like to send in a question to help us answer a future episode of the show, just go to upgradefeedback.com and send us in a snail talk. Thank you to Ramon for that great question. I have some follow-up for you, Jason Snow. I have quite a few items of follow-up for you today. I have more on the LOL emoji, if you could believe it. Great. Anthony wrote in and said, I use an Australian English keyboard on iOS, and it seems to suggest the same thing Mike is getting for British English. I get the same three emoji that Mike is getting. So it's not just the British English keyboard. Mm. It's the Australian English keyboard as well. So it seems like there's like some kind of anti-non-American English like rhetoric going on here with the emoji. Uh, I did want to give an update that in the newest beta, I guess this is kind of a B-tail, but uh, the 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 ruffle, you know, we had the rolling on the floor yeah. laughing emoji, that has been replaced now to what? face with tears of joy, which is one of the okay. original that should right. be in there. So right. we are now 
just two down, one to go. So what we're still hoping for here is the winking face with tongue emoji to be replaced with grinning, squinting face, and then we'll be back to normal. So So slowly getting there. Grinning, squinting face is the goal. That's what I'm wanting. Yeah, that that's GSF, good. The old yeah, GSF. The, the the one with the the like the winking face with the tongue. It's just not. It's just not good. It's just not. No. LOL or all. It just isn't. that is not an LOL in the least. Neither was our, our rolling on the floor laughing. No, that it's got its own thing. Uh-huh. That's a that's a diff. Ruffle is ruffle. Lol, lol is lol. That's just it. Ruffle Come is on. ruffle. Ruffle is ruffle, lol is lol. And and grin and GSF, the grinning squinting face is GSF. GSF. Everyone knows GSF. GSF or GTFO, okay? (laughs) (laughs) There we go. We got it. We landed on it. I wanted to talk more about the less fun thing, the online safety bill that I was talking about on the last episode. Oh yay. I was both so I was both saddened and understanding of the f- of how many people wrote in to tell me that they live in the United Kingdom and had no idea this was happening, um, which was my experience too, right? Uh, and, but it it makes me sad that this has gotten by so many people. And in the last episode, I posited a theory that this might be Apple's fault <laughs> with the CSAM scanning. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, uh, I have received some communication from my local member of parliament who says, Mm. I do not believe that the legislation impacting private messaging will damage this encryption, as a variety of technologies are emerging that could allow for scanning on issues such as child sexual abuse material while retaining the privacy benefits afforded by end-to-end encryption. So, after reading this, 100% in my mind, like, they saw the on-device CSAM scanning, and that unlocked for them of like, oh no, this can't be done. Now, like, this wasn't Apple's intention. I understand that. But even without this technology having been implemented, it unlocked the Pandora's box that we thought it was going to. This was the, when we were talking about this, whether a couple of years ago or whatever, it was with this kind of stuff in mind that once you show that there is a way to do on device snooping, you have highlighted to anyone in the around the world that this kind of technology is available and what pressures that may then put on Apple from worldwide governments. And right. even though they never implemented it, I believe right. it's one of the reasons why our government feel like they are able to implement this and be able to say, hey, we're fine with encryption. Right? As long as you're, yeah, as long as you're, software is snooping on you before it gets encrypted yeah we're okay with it yeah this is the we talked last week it was the title i think about the that bring in the boffins moment which is this belief that the the you know tech wizards will solve anything and something like this gives more ammunition to the bring in the boffins argument right which is uh we look we didn't say you have to not encrypt things. We just said you have to find a way to do what we want Mm -hmm. (laughs) while also encrypting them is fine. You can do that, but you got to be able to do what we want. And uh, yeah, well, I guess we'll see. And I just want to, you know, this is a a point. My member of parliament is a member of the Labour Party. Like this is a cross party thing, right? Like this isn't just like a Tory thing, right? right? Like this is my... 
my main concern about this legislation is that there's once it's done, it's done because all governments are going to want this because of what it could right. allow them right. to do. And there is no good or bad in this scenario. And if you're the minority party seeking power, which labor absolutely is, you know, you're also trying to search. We talked last week about how politicians don't want to ever be seen as as being uh, they don't want to ruin your your phone, but they also don't want to seem weak on, you know, fairly easy issues like protecting us from terrorism and things like that. If you're the minority party running for power, the last thing you want is to hand your opposition something like they're soft on yeah. child sex abuse materials and terrorism. Yeah. And that's right. And that's just like an easy thing there. But but then also it's just like I, I don't believe we have good and bad um like political act like parties. They everything's a level of gray and yes, they would love to be able to snoop for whatever it is they need to snoop for when they're in power, the same as whatever government might want it now. And I think that we shouldn't right. have this technology implemented, but I fear that we the genie is out of the bottle now. Mm, could be. L- Lionel MLSE. Do you like that? Oh, uh, yes. Um, sure. That's pretty good, right? Because it basically just is Lionel MLSE now. The entire Major League Soccer... <laughs> organization is just spearheaded by by Lionel Messi mm. uh, and it seems to have started well I think I got a push notification on my phone of like along the lines of like from Apple TV of like watch Lionel Messi against whatever team yeah he's just he's, t- he, <laughs> he's just he takes him. him on himself now he's that yeah. good it's been going very well. I've got reporting from The Verge here who says, while Apple did not release specific numbers, in a statement, Apple spokesperson Tom Neumeyer suggest, uh, explained that the week of July 19th to 26th had the, quote, three most watched matches ever on MLS Season Pass. I like ever. I feel like ever's doing a lot of ever. work here in on a thing that's a year ever, old. ever, dating all the way back to February. <laughs> 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 with viewers in almost 100 countries That's and regions around the world and That's the fans for those matches were roughly split between the MLS season pass in English and Spanish language. Mm, yeah, a lot of people in uh in in Argentina especially sense, I would think yep. watching yep. that. Yeah. Uh, and I saw like it feels like Apple was continuing to double down on the recent success with like the multi uh platform yeah, uh, uh, of MLS that they now have a new uh, podcast, an MLS podcast called Offside with Taylor Twelman, who was a MLS player some time ago, and and a, it, and a commentator, one of the more popular, oh, really? I think, TV okay. commentators, Taylor Twelman. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so this is similar to like the way that I look at this is like similar to their behind the scenes like TV Plus podcasts where because this is produced by I think it's Apple and they're working with a production company as well, they can just have access to. I guess kind of anyone like the most recent episode features uh is it Jorge Mas? Jorge Mas is the is the, the owner of Inter Miami. The owner of Inter Miami. Yeah, and yeah. and yeah, this is like he's a partner of Apple. Yep. Uh, Taylor Twelman is one of Apple's top, I think, uh commentary people for MLS season past. Uh so now that you do a podcast, it's all, you know, it's all this is this is what's really interesting about this deal even for people uh, who roll their eyes at MLS and people outside the U.S. who roll their eyes at it because it's a smaller league, a lower quality league, and people inside the U.S. roll their eyes at it because it's soccer. But what's really interesting about it is you've also got this case where you've got a streaming platform in total alignment with the league. 
And what does that mean? Like, and they're just starting to try. They're trying stuff and they're, they're figuring it out. And it's very interesting. And I'm, I will tell you, I'm sure every other sport league in the world is paying attention to this, right? Just because like, what does this mean for the future of this sort of thing? Yep. And until I, I've been reading this book, um, actually about soccer, uh, by Rory Smith called expected goals. Um, that's about sort of like the impact of Moneyball kind of thinking on soccer. And one of the points in the book is the truth is that in any of these sports, um, there's a lot of followers. So they want to, people don't want to be an outlier. They don't want to be different. And so they are going to be resistance to change, resistant to change until the moment when somebody else does it. And if somebody else does it, and it looks good, then they feel free to do it and they'll immediately do it. Um, and, and this MLS deal with Apple feels to me like a really great, now somebody's doing it moment and everybody else is going to pay attention to it. And if it works, they'll, they'll rip off the stuff that works yep. and they won't do the stuff that doesn't work. But I, I think that's what's so fascinating about it is that the, the Apple is a streamer um, and MLS as a league and they're like tightly integrated, right? They are shoulder to shoulder on this product. This is this is both of those companies and the, the company in the league working together to make this happen. Which is, as you say, like we've and we spoke about it at the time. We spoke about it multiple times. This is just a thing that's not really ever happened in this way before. Like getting rights is very different to like what Apple is doing with the MLS here, where they are like they are in lockstep with each other over the like the way things are presented, the movement of the sport, right? Like they are actual real partners rather than just like a provider of something, you know, like whether you're the provider of the sport or the provider of the cables to put it out to the world on, which is typically how these things are done. But Apple and the Major League Soccer are effectively together on this one. Yeah, yeah. And and by the way, there are rumors out there that Apple is talking to other <laughs> soccer leagues too, of course. Um, it's going to be smaller ones. I don't know whether they're still rumored to be um, talking to the Dutch League. Um, but, like, they're, you know, they're interested in this and there could be synergies there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and as they learn things about dealing with soccer for MLS, they may go to other places too. It's, it's yeah, it's, this is, look, sports broadcasting is not going to be the same in 10 years or 15 no. years, right? It's going to be radically different. And, I mean, but how be different in a year, right? It could be. I mean, it, it's changing it's rapidly. Yeah, yeah. But but it's going to. But where where does it lead? What is it? It's more final form. Um, remains to be seen. But this is something that is uh, definitely worth everybody paying attention because it's going to give us some clues about where this is all going. And a report from the Sports Business Journal says addressing the MLS Board of Governors just days before the world's greatest soccer player Lionel Messi would debut for Inter Miami. Eddie Q smiled at the group and told them, boy, did you deliver. And nearly five months into its <laughs> first season with Apple holding its media rights, MLS executive and owners both publicly and privately said they are very happy with the results so far. Yeah. Speaking, I'm just going to put this out there because I, I thought it was such a great piece. Um, Rory Smith, who is the soccer columnist who wrote the book that I'm reading, soccer columnist for the New York Times, and excellent writer, just a really good writer. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a column um, right before the World Cup about 
the Messi signing. And what he said was, everybody in America keeps talking about, and Jorge Moss talked about this, uh, that this is the moment, like, oh, this is the moment when America gets soccer. And the the Beckham signing was, this is the moment that America gets soccer. And um, Rory Smith's point was um, <laughs> that they're all missing it and that we've already passed that point. Um, not to say that there isn't much, much more growth possible with MLS in terms of money and in terms of teams and in terms of professional soccer in the United States, but the idea that people in soccer confuse um, primacy for success. And the idea there is everybody else in the world doesn't understand why soccer isn't the number one sport in America and isn't the number one sport in Australia uh, and isn't the number one sport in India <laughs> and uh, can't get over that to realize that they're successful. In fact, more Americans say that yes. they're a fan of whatever that means, soccer than hockey now, right? Like, so it is moving up in the ranks. Plus it's the second most popular participatory sport in America behind basketball. So Rory Smith's point is basically America has already embraced soccer. It's got a league with 29 teams and the quality is growing, even mm -hmm. though it's not at the level of even like the French league at this point, it's growing. And uh, a deal like the Apple deal, I, I, what I would say is it only helps that case, but it, it's also a, 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 I would say a, a soccer expert saying, look, everybody who's waiting for that magical moment when the U S got soccer, like the U S got soccer, putting all of the, uh, the major, European leagues, they're all available in the U.S. on TV now and have been for the last few years. Like, it, the soccer culture in America is growing by leaps and bounds. And and if you're waiting for that magic moment where it's bigger than the NFL, let me tell you, it's never going to happen. <laughs> and it doesn't need to be how it's judged. So um, I think that the messy stuff has been a little overblown, but um, but it's good for the league and it's good for its visibility and it's good for the sport. Um, in the U.S. and potentially out, I would imagine. I really am waiting for that story of like the people in Latin America who are who are getting to watch Messi at a better time of day and and uh, and uh, in and how they like uh, Apple Spanish language broadcast. People in Argentina, how are they feeling about it? Um, I haven't seen those stories, but uh, we'll keep watching it, and they'll keep playing soccer. So, partner, do you want to saddle up? Oh, uh, let me see. I yeah, okay, saddle. Yep, all right. Ride, ride, ride him, cowboy. We're going to ride on down to the rumor roundup. All right. Mark Gurman has published the article that I look forward to every year, which is his what can we expect from Apple in the fall. And so usually these things, we've heard some level of them. Um, we've heard things that may or may not be in what Mark Gurman is talking about in his newsletter. But this is, I always feel like a real good, like this is the yardstick for what we can and cannot expect to come from Apple in September. I agree. Uh, with regards to the iPhone and the Apple Watch. So I'm going to go through some of the things that Mark spoke about. So with the phones, with kind of screen stuff, we're going to see the dynamic island across all the phones. So the 15, the 15 uh, plus Pro and Max will all have the dynamic island now. But the Pro phones are going to get a new a new display made from a new kind of process called low injection pressure overmolding (LIPO). When right. I originally read this, I was like, "Isn't this the no LTPO is what's in them right now?" Which is about the 
which is a different thing. It's LTPO. It allows the always-on display. It's something. It's, it's an acronym like that. But that is a completely different thing to what this is, which is how the screen is made. Basically, the reason Apple will move to this process is it allows for the bezels to shrink. Currently, the bezels on the Pro phones is to, are 2.2 millimeters. This is going to bring it down to 1.5 millimeters. So all the time getting smaller and smaller and smaller. If this becomes a thing, can we rename the room around up the lipo section? We most certainly can, Jason. Okay, just well, just in case, in case we have a whole segment that's just about uh-huh. low injection pressure overmolding, I want that segment to be called. I think the lipo section. The the segment you are currently in in Rumor Roundup may be the only time we ever talk about this. So we we'll say that right now this is the lipo section of Rumor Roundup. Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, this screen technology, LiPo, uh, was first used by Apple in the Apple Watch Series 7. And it was there, again, to like help them make the bezel smaller and smaller on the screens. And Mark Gurman is also saying that he expects that Apple will use this process with the iPad as well in the future. Mm. It's all just about like less and less and less border required around a yeah. screen. That's that's bottom line here is Apple hates... It, the lead of his piece was about this too, which I've thought for a while now, which is... What is Apple's vision of the ultimate iPhone? Mm-hmm. And the answer is Full no screen. bezel, mm-hmm. no cutouts, just yep. screen. Yep. And so the like cut, reduced cutouts and the dynamic island and all that is part of it. And then always, always just trying to get the bezel to be smaller. And and I know there are people who will say, come on, it's fine. <laughs> right? But Apple just doesn't think it's fine. Apple keeps thinking that the less bezel, the better, and is spending a lot of time and resources trying to engineer new methods of mounting these displays so that they can get that bezel down from like 2.2 millimeters to 1.5 millimeters, which those are both very small numbers, but one of them is a lot smaller than the other one. Yep. And Apple cares, right? Apple cares, and I think people care. I think I think if you look at a... a back at a an older phone that you use with a bigger bezel you would say chins you know you would say ooh, gross right (laughs) like even you might not you get used to it real fast but i think going backward you see it yep and you know this is like one of those things like i could really appreciate of like well when you're a designer at apple you know you have all of the resources in the world available to you and if you have a goal that you want to achieve you just keep taking chunks out of it until you get there and this is another one there's still a bezel but it's smaller and then maybe in another five years they'll come across another process and they make it even smaller right they just keep going and going and going until the edge of the phone screen is the edge of the phone and that's it because who wouldn't want that it would be beautiful the 15 and 15 plus will get quote major camera improvements as well as the a16 chip which is in the 14 Pro. Remember, the iPhone 14 did not get a processor upgrade at all, right? Like, it actually just stuck around. But this is going to be putting the A16 into there. No detail on major camera improvements. Do you think it's going to be the 48 megapixel sensor? I mean, it might be. It could be just rolling that in to the lower end model and then upgrading the higher end model even further. Like, that that could be. My hope with that is they put the 48 megapixel camera sensor everywhere and then actually unlock the true potential of that. Because I don't feel like we got it, right, with mm. the 14 Pro. Like, the sensor is there and you can, you can, you know, you can take an image 
in certain circumstances or using other apps where you can get the full sensor and it can look amazing. You can get some great detail out of it if it's processed correctly. But I feel like I and many others were hoping that it would make some kind of leap in the in like the overall image quality and I don't think it has. I will actually say I've been kind of frustrated recently with the the 14 Pro by adding that sensor in they they need to enable the macro sensor way too often for me and and the you know the macro quote unquote which is the ultra wide it doesn't look as good. And so there are times where I'm trying to take a picture of something close up and it has to switch over and then they end up with a worse photo because of the fact that I have the higher sensor. So like I don't really feel like I'm getting the benefit most of the time for a lot of the things that I want to take pictures of. So I I wonder if I wonder if what they might do is put that high end um sensor on the lower end phones but only have the two cameras like they have mm. before. Mhm. And then use you know so there would be a wide and a normal um or a right or an ultra wide and a wide i don't know even know what how they define them anymore but imagine that and then they would essentially have a a virtual third camera sort of like how there's a virtual fourth camera on Mm -hmm. the pro models now Mm -hmm. um i said oh by the way i said last week i called the i called the 15 or 14 pro the 14 or 14 max instead of 14 plus uh remember iphone math anyway uh, there are two. One of them's bigger oh than the God. other. iPhone math. iPhone Man, math. That was great... that was because because it was the oh, iPhone Plus, but it was mistranslated yeah. as iPhone math. It was amazing. That was one back in iPhone six. That is one oh, of yeah. the great rumors, man. Oh, iPhone math. God. That's what that it's going to was... be called. Like not even Apple is dumb enough to call something iPhone math. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pro Max, sure. Math, not so much. So anyway, I do wonder if if they might take that forty eight and, uh, and put it in the the lower end phone. But the details of like how does that how does that get used and is there one, only one other camera on that unit and how do you know does it look like it's a more you know they do the virtual camera thing where it uses all the pixels or it bends them and all that I don't know uh, interesting idea major camera improvements is very vague but I think that would be my guess like I I kind of doubt that they're gonna invent a new camera for the fifteen right. It, more likely that it's a recycled camera from another device. Which, and as well, like, it would make sense to me then maybe why you would want to put the A16 in there because you've got to imagine that there has to be some kind of, like, linking between this higher quality uh, camera sensor and the processor, right? Oh, yeah. So it could yeah. fully, like, work these two things in tandem. So. And if it's two cameras instead of three, they you know it's a little bit decontented. It's a little bit cheaper, mm-hmm. um, but they're still using the chip and they're still maybe using that sensor and and like because again, uh, Apple is great at recycling things, right? That's how Apple is able to do everything that it does. Is yes, that yeah. it reuses it reuses a lot of the technology that it's got. So if it's been making that that sensor or buying that sensor and integrating it, and it's got the A16 and like it knows how to do all of that stuff and and has been doing it for a year and now can roll it down into another product because then it's got the high end stuff going into the pro instead. And especially, you know, it would make sense this year because of the uh, expected changes to the pro camera that you could get away with. It, although it's only been a year, you could put it in the in the regular one. Now, 
this is where I'm going to quote this uh, on the pro phones. There will be quote major rear camera upgrades, including updated lenses and the ability to get a much wider range of optical zoom on the largest model. Now, I don't know why Mark isn't saying periscope lens here, but but like that's what we expect this to be. But this could be like one of those things where no one is yet really sure how Apple's doing it, right? But like they, right. maybe they got their own funny way, you know, of making this work that nobody else has done before, or maybe they're just doing a periscope lens, but they won't call it that. It could be a periscope lens, or it could be like, oh, we thought it was going to be a periscope lens, but it turns out it's this other esoteric thing that yeah. nobody's really doing, but they decided to do it and they're happy with it. So they're going to ship that. Like, yeah, there's the hedging here, or he knows some of the back end specs of it, but doesn't quite know the details of how they get there. Yes. It's like, I know that there's going to be a wider range of optical zoom on the largest model, but I can't tell you how. Like, we can all presume right. it, right? We're all presuming it, but. If you don't, you know, you, you like, you know, the output, but you, right. know, you don't know the pro- process of getting there. But for people who don't know what we mean by periscope lens, this is how, how do you get a thin ish phone to have more um, optical characteristics? Because usually you need a longer lens to do more zoom. And how can you have a longer lens? I mean, they already have the camera bump. And there's like the camera block with the bumps on top of it, right? Like they, you can extend out and you can get some of that. But ultimately, you can't have a phone with a giant lens sticking out of it. So what they do is they they have a, a mirror that turns the light sideways so that you can run some of the length of that optical path down the length of the phone inside instead of the thickness of the phone. It's a very clever idea. Some other phones do that too. It's almost like magic to me, like how this actually works. Like... I understand it. I've seen it done a bunch of times. I understand your explanation. Still don't fully know how it works. You know what I mean? It's like, I believe it works, but I don't know know exactly how it works. Light works in mysterious ways. It's all optics. You see, Snell's law tells us that refraction is, I'm not going to get into it here, but you can look it up. Snell's law. It's real. Oh, okay. I I thought that. No, Snell's law is real. (laughs) It was not mine. I didn't didn't make that law. Uh, Previous Snell made that law for me. But uh, yeah, light light does fantastic weird things, and you can do stuff like flip it sideways so that you can have your uh, your your lens and your optics happening inside the phone body instead of right on the back. And Samsung has done that, and other phone manufacturers have done that. And it's like it's a logical progression for yeah. the iPhone um, because Apple cares so much about camera quality. And beyond a certain point, you just can't make the lenses any longer. So this is what you do. Can't wait to see it, by the way. It's going to be great. And if it's in the Pro Max, that is going to make that phone that much more interesting if it's really like a groundbreaking iPhone camera that's way beyond what Apple has done before. That would be... It might drive a lot of people into Pro Max Club, is what I'm saying. I feel like it makes sense to me, you know, like in the way we were just talking about the technology going down, that it would just be in the Pro Max to make it the easiest on them because it would be something new, complicated to make, and they have the space to build it into the phone more easily because the phone is bigger. Um, and, and honestly, like, you know, we spoke about this before, but this is how I could imagine, you know, like what you just said about like, oh, it's such a big change. This is how they call it the ultra, right? That like they're taking a big step. Like this yeah. is now something we've never done before. That could be it a name to, you know, like that kind of. It's the perfect time. 
I, I, yeah. I don't know if the rumor is, I, I think it's unclear in its marketing, so it's really hard to get that sense. But like, yep. if there's a periscope camera and it is vastly beyond the quality of any iPhone camera ever before, I think it does it a disservice to call it Pro Max, right? Yeah. You, at that point, you really do want to call it Ultra yes. and say, this is not just a big Pro. This is a whole huge step forward and you want to differentiate that and probably raise the price even more. Um, yep. But like, go go to town, go for it. I think that's great. The Pro phones will get a new three nanometer chip. Right, this is a, a new 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the phones will get USB-C. By the way, I I enjoy Mark Gurman um, struggling like the rest of us in describing the benefit of having a faster chip. Snappier, in, in, yeah. He literally Safari said they'll be, be snap, snappier. They'll be snappier, <laughs> and it's like you know, God, the power of these chips is so spectacular now. Like I and Apple is ahead of the competition; they're ahead of Qualcomm's uh, chips here too, and all that. But like, I reached the point in the last couple of years where where I'm not sure it matters anymore. No. I mean. Sometimes it will matter in detail if there's like some incredibly complex graphics thing or machine learning thing and all of that. And obviously the increased power increases the size of the platform that lets the software do not just do things snappier, you know, but do things they couldn't do before because it would take an unreasonable amount of time. Or in the case of the three nanometer process, maybe the most important thing is that it will be more power efficient. And so battery life will be better. Or they'll, they'll, they'll be able to take some of that battery out in order to put the periscope camera in. I don't know, right? But like, it, it just, it, it is a struggle where he's just trying to say, look, there's going to be a new chip new, using the new process. But he needs to say, as a writer, you're always prompted to do this, right? But why, right? Yeah. Why, why does that matter? What is the relevance there? And so he's like, It'll be snappier. It's like, sure, sure, it'll be. Yeah, it'll totally be snappier. People yep. will get this phone though, and they'll be like, whoa, the snappy. So snappy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The pro phones are going to get titanium uh, on the sides. So we're moving away from stainless steel to titanium with a slight curve on the back glass. So the back glass will, will have more of a softer feel to it. Mm. Maybe it's nicer to hold. Maybe it's more slippery to hold. We'll find we out. We don't know. They said it's going to have the frosted glass look, which is that muted look that I don't yep. really like on the Pro phone. So it sounds it. like they're keeping that. Keeping that. Titanium, though. Titanium is nice. I have a, My Apple Watch that. is titanium. Uh, mm. It's light. Uh, it's very nice. And as we, as we detailed in our little science corner a few months ago, you can anodize titanium. So you don't have to do what Apple did back in the day with the <laughs> titanium power book and paint it mm-hmm. and then have the paint flake off. You actually anodize it and it's fine. And I've had this, uh, this black titanium Apple watch for two years now, and it, it, it doesn't have any paint on it and it doesn't chipped and it's all still beautiful. And, uh, what I'm saying is a big fan. My question is, just I'm going to put this out there. Maybe this could be a draft item. You know how Apple talks about the um, medical grade, surgical grade, sur- sorry, not medical, surgical grade stainless steel on the iPhone? Mm-hmm. What is the titanium? Is it like aerospace grade titanium well, or something? The aluminium, they say, is is aircraft grade. Right. Aluminium. Like, I'm just, I'm like, we got a new element. Right. It's going to have an, an indicator of how. You know, because Apple, this is Apple's be? marketing, right? It's like, he's like, I know y'all know about the periodic table. I know you look up there and you see your aluminums and your titaniums, stainless steel. It's an alloy. It's not up there, but be, be, be that as it may, what makes our titanium different? Well, 
And then they do the thing where they're like, but it's not titanium. It's magic titanium. It's aerospace grade. It's it, impurities have been filtered out, or it's a unique alloy of titanium and molybdenum. And it makes it so that it reads your mind or whatever it is. Mm. You know, they're going to have, because even, because Apple, masters of branding, everything's got a brand name. Um, well, almost everything, but you know, the, uh, the, the, the important stuff has a brand name. Uh, they can't just be satisfied with an element that's on the periodic table, a common element. They have to explain why it's amazing. So it's just, I'm just Apple saying, Watch grade. They use Apple Watch grade no, titanium on the iPhone. It's going to be, I'm going to tell you, it's like, this is the same titanium that they use in making the International Space Station or something, right? It's going to be that. It's going to be titanium from outer space. I don't know. We'll see. Well, but they'll do you... something. Mark my words. They'll do something. If you employ a team of metallurgists, which Apple have, they have their own metallurgists. They do. Right? Yep. And like, Big decide like how they energy. made yep. their own gold for the Apple Watch, right? Like oh, yeah, right? See, own... again, hey, you look, yeah. at the, you look at that periodic table and you see yep. AU and you're like, gold? Okay, whatever. Unacceptable. It's like, no, we made great gold. We made the best gold. Lons and now, gold. best titanium coming to you. Now, do you remember some time ago, we were talking about the the buttons on the iPhone that they were maybe going to be going to solid state and be like the trackpad or whatever, right? right. Where it don't actually physically move. That right. got canned. Right. But the, work right. there is something that has remained, which is the mute slash ring switcher, like the little switch that you've got on the phone, is going to become a button and yeah. it will be action button, like maybe mm, even called button. the action button. And this is a quote from Mark Gurman. Steve Moser at MacRumors discovered code in iOS 17 that hints at the possible options for this button. It suggests you'll be able to choose among several possibilities. The standard mute switch mechanism, a focus mode like Do Not Disturb, launching the camera, turning on the flashlight, or opening features for accessibility or translating text. That sounds just like the action button on the Apple Watch Ultra, right? Of like right. the kinds of things you can do with it. Programmable button, and I'm here for it, right? Like that's... Yeah. That's it's cool. Uh, there was all that debate about like, oh, ring switch and people who are the 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 magic ring switch people who can tell in the Not pocket me. whether it's whether it's switched one way or the other, which I can never remember. I spent Mike last week. I was trying to see if my iPhone was muted, mm -hmm. and I spent uh, a long time staring at Control Center, why wondering why there wasn't a mute item in Control Center. Well, they're gonna have to before. add it, right? Right. Well, so so I had that moment because this is how much I use my iPhone versus my iPad. And I just stared at it and I'm like, why isn't it there? Why isn't the little bell there? And then I, I had, a, and after a minute I was like, oh, iPhone, there's a switch on the side. And then I did the switch and then, and then what ridiculous fishing or something started to make noise. And I was like, oh, because I hate that. I hate how some things honor that, the honor the switch and don't play anything unless you turn the switch off versus just honoring the volume setting bugs me it's inconsistent between apps anyway um i had that moment and i thought well it won't be like this soon right pretty soon that'll just be a button and uh you can choose to have that button toggle mute on and off or have it be something else and just put it in control center because as somebody who leaves the mute on all the time i would really rather just have it on all the time in control center and use that button for something else yeah i mean that would be the same for me right where like Actually, if they did put it into software, then I'd be fine with it because I could just leave it in software and I know it's off all the time. Like, yeah. I do like the ring switcher just because it's easy for me to know it's always off. But if it's in software, it is realistically as simple as that as long as they put leave it, it always there. off, mm -hmm. right? I mean, my, my, my Apple Watch is always off too. And I, I don't need a, right? Like, I don't need a switch for it. I just said, because I don't it off. want and if it, the volume controls to be 
mess to be doing this. Like, I don't want that. Like, I don't sure. want that. Right, right. But if there's just a straight up mute, which I there would yeah. be because it's on the iPad, that's what it is. So yep. for people who are like, if you really flip between um, noise and not noise all the time, then you would apply this button. And yes, I know you wouldn't know the state, but like, I think it's better more broadly to have it be programmable. All and, I ask, let me run a shortcut. Yes. I know you can do this in the Apple Watch too. So like, just yeah. let me run a shortcut from that and then I'll be happy, yeah. you know? Sure. That'd be awesome. Sounds sounds great to me. You mentioned it earlier, but price creases, uh, increases, price creases, they're, they're folding the money. Uh, price increases yeah. are expected in some markets, maybe the US as well. Uh, this is kind of expected mo- mainly in the pro phones, but could be across the whole thing. Right. And Especially if there's an ultra, the, yep. right, like that's a really yep. great moment to increase the price of that mm-hmm. phone even more. There is, for the Apple Watch, a new S9 processor in the Apple Watches, which would include the first significant processor bump since the S6 in 2020. So there's been processors every year, but they've been, you know, different configurations of the system on the chip as to what it can do. But in that time period, there hasn't really been any kind of speed bump to the Apple Watch. The S9 would do that, apparently. Yeah, I mean, that's great. It's good. I feel okay about my Apple Watch, but I'm Same. sure it could be, you know, I, I'm At sure. At a certain point, it won't be, right? And so, right. We will reach that, like, uh, I guess it's snappier kind of moment with the Apple yeah. Watch. But right now, like a faster Apple Watch, especially since it hasn't really gotten a major bump in a while, I think that's good because there's more that could be done on the Apple Watch if it had more capabilities, right? Like that we're still at that point where it's it's very limited because it's in such a small space. And so there's more work to be done on the Apple Watch front. And a dark titanium option for the Apple Watch. Poss- possibly, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, sa- he said basically like he had heard about it earlier and it seems to still be in as a possibility, but he doesn't really know. But It that, would be that weird would be to me to to rev the 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 model uh, in a year and and not offer an, like something like that cuz really i mean yeah. i will be surprised as to what they would offer at all right like what is the reason to do an apple watch ultra 2 a year after like what will right you know like what are they going to tell you is in this one and like and i feel like an s9 chip like that's not really it, you know? It's like, what is the point of revving it? But being able to say, such a success, you know, look, we're doubling down, da 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 and it also now comes in black or whatever. It's like, oh, okay. But what I really want and what I hope they do is it actually comes in all of the colors the phones come in. That's what I want. Oh, that's a nice idea. Right, because they're going to, we presume, because we know, because, well, boy, do we know that there's, you can anodize titanium. Anodize right? that titanium, yeah, that's right. Uh, that they'll probably have multiple options for the phones, you know, like four or five options for mm. the phones. My hope would be that they would then offer this, like a selection of those oh. colors for the Apple Watch Ultra 2. Sure, that'd be neat. Because I would like choices. I would like a gold one because that's who I am. Goldfinger. Well, or wrist. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. When you work in a small team, every moment counts. You don't want to be wasting your time finding video conferencing details to send to a new client. You don't want to track down the same FAQs from the company website every time you need to Q&A. These are the kinds of things. No, A and Q. Your A and Qs, right? You're answering the questions. You're not questioning the answers. You, if you needed to question answers, you could also put those in Texas Expander too, if you want to. These are the kinds of things you want at your fingertips, right there 
every moment so you can get your work done faster and more conveniently. That is why you need Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can access what you're typing the most in just a few simple keystrokes, allowing you to work faster and eliminate repetition so you can focus on what matters most to you and you can focus on what it is you're best at doing. Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations will streamline your team's work. So all you have to do is type a couple of keystrokes. That short abbreviation and Text Expander will do the rest for you, which could include common used phrases amongst you and your team, maybe some like frequently used messages and URLs. You can also uh, automatically have dates added to the snippets that you're expanding. You can have fill in the blank fields so you can keep um, like customization in the messages. You can have timestamps put in and so much more to make sure that you're really keeping the personality in what you send. Text Expander isn't about making everything boilerplate. It's about taking the things that don't need to be typed every time, putting those in, but then giving you the space to expand it wherever you want to. As I say, you just type that short abbreviation, Text Expander does the rest for you. Like I have a bunch of ones for me that are, you know, I have a lot of abbreviations, right? Like I'll type a couple of letters and maybe it prefills a sentence or it prefills a paragraph. You know, we have them here at Relay FM to make sure that we're sharing advertising copy. They have the most recent advertising copy amongst everybody um, and maybe some like uh, uh, Q&A stuff for membership. But I also have them for things that I misspell uh, frequently, or if I want to have like correct like capitalization in words, you can just kind of do a quick replace for them. It's really easy to do. Uh, Text Expander is available on every single device that you use across any app that you use on the Mac, Windows, Chrome, and iOS. If repetitive typing is getting you down, you need Text Expander. Check out Text Expander today at textexpander.com/upgrade, and you can get twenty percent off your first year. That is textexpander.com/upgrade to say goodbye to repetitive typing. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. So it is the summer of fun. Summer of fun, which for you does mean Hi. the summer of writing. True because you're writing all your reviews. And as we move into review season, I would like to get oh. a lay of the land for your writing setup right now. Oh, uh, I'm going to talk idea. about apps, but I also want to start this with like with two questions. One is, which device do you currently uh, do the bulk of your writing on, especially when it comes I, to reviews? So I've been doing the bulk of my writing this summer on my Mac okay, using the keyboard that you um, made for ah, me. Great. Which is the what? Keychron Q1? Yes. I'm going to say yes to that. I think so. Yeah. With the, the Kiwi switches mm-hmm. and the, uh, the I got the severance keys. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Uh, it's like a little blue uh, keyboard. Uh, uh, summer, my beloved memories of summer for the last 20 years really are writing under the redwood tree in my backyard. Sitting in a camp chair basically um and so what i'd really like to say is that i've been doing a lot of writing on the magic keyboard on my ipad sitting out in the backyard but it's been uh here in the bay area it's been a cold summer <laughs> oh, okay and i've got i've i've written out there like one day so I'm not worried August and September and October are usually our hottest months. And so probably I will be hot and miserable and outside writing 
at some point here, and that will make me happy because I'll be in the shade of the redwood tree, and it'll be great. But for for now, I'm doing most of my work actually at my Mac and not anywhere else. So, so it's unusual but, for me. But your ideal for writing this kind of stuff, like your Mac OS review or something, would be on your iPad instead. Yeah, out in the ba- in the backyard. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I in the okay. winter, I usually do a lot of writing. Um, at I, I do writing at my desk, but I also do a lot of writing at the at the bar, um, in, in my kitchen. kitchen. Right? <laughs> it's just with, like Jason goes down to the local. Well, I mean, uh, I used to go home. to I, well, I used to go to Starbucks <laughs> and and write and write my MacWorld column there and all that. And I don't really do that anymore ever since the pandemic. So, um, but I do. I have a little uh little stand for my iPad, uh, that uh, that it goes in, and then I use a Bluetooth. Uh, keyboard and uh, magic trackpad and i will sit there on a bar stool or stand next to the bar depending on how i'm feeling and um that's really great because it's it's a shift it's a mental shift where i'm somewhere else doing something else and i'm sort of like it sends a signal to my brain like the only reason you're here is writing stop wasting time yeah yeah yeah. get the words out now but i just wrote a two thousand word piece um last week that is forthcoming uh, for a, it's a freelance piece, and I wrote that. I wrote that sitting here at my desk. Uh, and when I do that th- to get that signal to my brain that I need to uh, switch gears, a lot of times what I'll do is I actually put um, my headphones in, plug directly into the headphone jack on the. Well, there's an extension cord, but it's a headphone jack on my computer, and I I play music, and I just there's something about writing where I've got the headphones in and I can't hear anything else, and I'm just focused. I've got the music playing, and I'm writing. Um, I'm usually listening to music on my AirPods when I'm at the bar at the bar top in my kitchen or if I'm outside in the backyard too. It's the, it's a cue for me to focus on that. Whereas when I'm just sort of doing other stuff, I usually just have the music on speakers and stuff in my in my office. So it's a different I'm trying to give my brain cues of like again, now is the time that you're you you did all of these other things because it's time to write now. So if you don't write now, why did you do all those other things? And that is a way of getting my brain to like engage and be like, yeah, okay, now the words are going to come out. Music with or without lyrics? Ah, uh, it's a classic. I think we d- dealt with this in Snell Talk before. Yeah. I I love writing to music that I know by heart, which means it needs to be, there's a very specific category this is, which is it's music that I know incredibly well. It is pop and rock music with lyrics but it's the stuff that i know by heart so my brain is not tracking the lyrics and it's not in it's not like riding along with the song and enjoying the ride and there's a little corollary here so so i don't need to listen to instrumental sometimes i do listen to instrumental stuff or electronic stuff or like stuff that doesn't have words but a lot of times the the playlists that i use the most are ones that are just um rock playlist but here's a funny thing if i don't use it for a while i can't write to it um so it has to be like if it's novel like i was playing the other day i was playing a a playlist by uh a a band i like but i hadn't listened to it in a while and i realized i couldn't use it to write because it's been so long since i listened to those songs that every time a song would come on, I'd be like, oh, this song. And that is not what you want when you're writing. You don't want to be enjoying the songs. You want the songs as a pleasant kind of like driver of, you know, I'm listening to these, uh, the songs are playing and I'm listening to them while I'm also focused. And I could do that. Um, 
So every year, uh, uh, it used to be on uh, on uh, Last FM because I was scrabbling back in the day. <laughs> big scrabble. I was big scrabbler back big in the day. Scrabbly boy. Um, and now it's uh, just the Apple Music it's, uh, charts at the end of the year that they do. But uh, there are certain artists that crop up there. That's like, why are you listening to this artist? And the answer is, oh yeah, that's that's my that's one of my playlists for when I'm writing. So it's like, why did you listen to? Underneath Days by Bob Mould 800 times last year. That's a song from 10 years ago. And the answer is, it's because the Bob Mould playlist is one of my writing playlists. And so that song comes up all the time and it gives me energy and I love it. And also I do it long enough that, you know, I've been using it long enough that um, I'm not really focused on it. It doesn't distract me from my writing. So obviously I'm assuming that nothing has changed with the app on your Mac and you're still using BB Edit. Still writing in BB Edit, yeah. yeah. What about iOS? The so my my workflow there hasn't changed very much. Although I think that if I spent more time on iOS, like later this summer, I will probably. I'm always looking around, um, because my workflow right now is still Dropbox based. Essentially, it's plain text in Dropbox. It's Markdown in Dropbox. So I have a folder called Stories, and. Um, I can have them in BB Edit on my Mac and I can have them in whatever text editor app I'm using on my iPad. I have been using OneWriter as my primary for a long time on the iPad and I still use it as my primary. It gets out of my way. It does what I want. Um, I've even got, a, you know, I've got some scripts hooked up to it and shortcuts so that I can post things directly to six colors from there. Um, I'm always open to other things. I, I wrote an article about this a long time ago and I know we've talked about it. Like mm-hmm. I want, I want a markdown text editor that um, ideally has shortcuts for things like, you know, hyperlinks and stuff like that. But also I want it to be, um, I want to see all the code and there are a bunch of markdown editors that do things like you make a hyperlink and it hides the link. Yeah. And I hate that. I, I don't, I can't, I, I know why people like that. I hate it because the link, what the link is matters to me. And I'm like, which link is that on that part? I'm like, oh, I have to go in. I have to like use the cursor in. Cause if I click on it, it opens it and I use the cursor and I can expand it and all that. I hate it. I, I just, I don't want that. I want to be able to see the code at all times. Um, so, and then automation is nice for things like automatically posting it to the site. Um, what, the thing I don't like about OneWriter is that it's JavaScript based. And what I really would like is something like Python where I could build macros that are in a language that I, I understand better than JavaScript. Unfortunately, that was editorial, right? Which basically got abandoned mm-hmm. before I learned Python. Now I learn Python. I'm like, oh, editorial would have been the answer there. But the truth is a lot of this stuff, if it's got hooks out to shortcuts, it doesn't matter because the shortcuts can do the automations for me. And the the, the truth is I'm more... Um, there's an app called Tayo that I've used a bit that is very clever. It's got its own automation system that's like shortcuts, except inside Tayo. Um, also interesting. And I'm open, you know, I'm open to others. Um, but right now that works the best because there's no BB edit for iOS, right? I need something that that will round trip with Dropbox. And there are some apps that are like, it's great. We have our own little iCloud folder and like, I don't want that, right? And I'm not, and and it's extremely unlikely that some iOS app is going to do a Mac version and make me drop BB Edit. That just seems very unlikely. So I end up really needing it to just be a very nice markdown text editor that can look in a Dropbox folder or, you know, in the long run, maybe an iCloud Drive folder. Although my experience is that the iCloud Drive updating is much, is still 
more problematic than the um than the Dropbox updating. But you know, if I if I can what I want to be able to do is write my Macworld column, close my iPad, walk into my office, open the column and BB edit, do a couple of things to it, and then put it in their system. And when I've tried that with iCloud Drive, I will sometimes come in and I'll look at the file and it just hasn't updated. And then eventually it updates and that's unacceptable. So well, um, I Dropbox, mean, Dropbox is getting more and more like that these days for me at least. Um, has it happened? The... Has it happened to me? I've still got it that it's uh, straight up um, that those things are happening and they're working. I, have you upgraded really well. to the version that is using the file provider API? I've been using the yeah, I've been using the file provider API yeah. for a long time now uh, since it was the first beta of it. I mean, I think my problem tends to be that I'm dealing with larger files than a text file, mm. right? That like could be I'm finding issues with audio files, you know, quite quite a lot where mm. like I'm trying to download something and it's just stuck ah yes well it's a lot easier when it's just a little tiny text file yeah i found recently sometimes it's quicker for me to go to the web and download the thing that i want which is just very annoying that's that's unacceptable that's unacceptable for any of these services to do it that way are there any uh apps or tools you tried recently that you've rejected i think you tried obsidian right i did try obsidian uh, you know obsidian is overkill for me. So, okay. So outliners and note-taking apps and like, and, and anything that you build up like a little, uh, packet of information and it's all cross-linked and stuff. It's just not how I write. Yeah. I was going to um, ask like, where do your notes and st- like you, if you're writing so, a yeah. story and you have some notes, where do they go? So, you know, you know that one of the things about, me is I try to be very skeptical of adding overhead to what I do Mm -hmm. because it's overhead. It's more work. And my question is always going to be, if I do this extra work, does it save me time or benefit me in some other way? And every time I've tried something like Obsidian or you know and and there are other other kind of note taking apps are used drafts and bear and all sorts of other things what i end up feeling is like i just don't work in a way where i need to have all of my stuff in different places all interlinked and i'm going to use that as the basis i just don't do that honestly um i do some stuff like if i'm doing an apple briefing or something like that i take the i take notes about that in notes Apple Notes, and I look back on it later. But when I'm writing, I'm writing in a text file and my notes are at the bottom. And usually what I will do is I will outline my story if it's a lengthy story like a review. And the way I'll outline my story is I will put what the sections are in the text file. Mm -hmm. And then I'll take my notes about those sections and put them in the sections. And then I will usually write, it doesn't always happen if I'm really stuck or if there's something that I'm not ready to deal with yet, uh, I'll change it. But usually I will write top to bottom. (laughs) I will literally, I'll write an intro and I will then go to the next section and I will look at the notes that are in there and I will write the next section. And as I write, I gobble up the little notes. They, They just go away. Yeah. 
Yeah, like Pac-Man. I'm like, and the notes go away because the paragraphs are there now. I don't need the notes anymore. And like, if I, if there's a lot of stuff in the notes that's like I might want to refer to, I'll also have the notes saved as a different text file that I can go get if I need to. But for the most part, that's how I do it. And so I'll sit down and I'll write, you know, a story about next version of Mac OS, maybe the beta, or maybe it'll be my final review. And I'll put down the structure and I'll put down what I'm thinking. And then I will kind of work from there. Um, so I just don't, I honestly just don't understand how somebody like our friend Federico works. I don't, I just don't understand it. And, I, and I'm in awe of it, honestly, yeah. but I don't understand it where he does so much pre-work where he's taking notes and and using stuff and building up like a big note library. And maybe this is just that I, I mean, I just, I, I'm, I was bad at this in college. Even I didn't, I wasn't good at taking notes in college. Um, I would take some, but not a lot of them. And it's still like this today that I'm using the beta and I'm experiencing it. And then I get to the end and I'm, I make a little outline in my text file and say, here are the things I want to talk about that I noticed this year. And that's it. I don't, I'm not like extracting notes that I took back in June when I used a particular feature and then bringing them in. I just am not. And it, part of that is that I'm also not writing a 25,000 word review, right? I'm, I'm that, only going to write 5,000. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But it probably is right. That I, I, I want it at a very particular level and I don't want to go um, on for 10 or 15 or 20,000 words. I just don't want to do that. That's not my, my goal. Um, but I, anyway, I, I, my exception to this is um, back like a decade ago now, um, I wrote a little more than a decade ago. I did uh, National Novel Writing Month and I ended up writing a few novels and I used Scrivener for those. And that's a case where there's so much you have to keep track of in as you're writing a novel in terms of your plan and who your characters are and what has happened that using Scrivener with its um, organizational features was very helpful to that process. That was a, that was a process that was so huge that I had to, but I've tried to use Scrivener for um, my big OS reviews and stuff. And honestly, it, it was, it felt kind of unnecessary. It was overkill for that part of it. So, I mean, there is a place like Dan Morin with his multi-book sci-fi novel series. Like he had, he built a wiki which I think is now in Obsidian. Because that's um, what it is. That's what these things are now, right? They're just wikis, really. They're basically wikis. Yeah. And he needs that because he doesn't remember this fact about his universe that he wrote, you know, as an aside yep. in book two. Yep. But like, he needs to remain consistent in yep. book five about what he said in book two. And so being able to look that up, being able to search it um, is very helpful to him. So there, there are lots of ways that... And, and again... Like I said, I'm kind of in awe of Federico and how he does it, um, and it works for him. And everybody's brains work differently, um, and and so anyway, that's where I am right now. It's is... similar to Gray too, like the way that he writes his scripts. Like I've I've seen some of the like his Obsidian Vault, and it's like he's referring to pieces of information he's collected, so he can make sure that like he's factually accurate. You know, like so hundreds and hundreds of notes full of pieces of information going right. to create in this one script that goes into a video. I get it. And 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 the the sense 
that I have is that the the stuff I write is not the this stuff that is, you know, I spent months deeply researching a topic and I have all of these details. And if I did that, I would have to do that, right? I would absolutely have to do that. But most of the stuff I write, if not all of the stuff I write, is not that. And can be contained in in notes in a text file and in my brain. And if I was trying something like that, it would be different. That said, I think also I gravitate toward doing the level that I'm on because it is how I prefer to work. I think that is part of it. Is it self-selecting? Yes. Um, I've always, I've always been the kind of person who thinks about doing months of research and thinking, yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, it's just like, I don't want to do that. I, I would be the kind of person who like, like taking it back to college. It's like, Oh, we're studying. And I'm going to go and study for five hours. We're going to study for this test. And I would like look over my notes. And after like half an hour, I'd be like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. And I'd be done. Cause it's just not, I just couldn't do it. I just, it's just not, I, I'm, I did, I did it. I took the notes. I listened, I wrote the papers, I reviewed the material and I'm done. Whereas other people I knew would be like, oh, study session. I did, I did eight hours of studying for the final and I've never understood that. It's just not how my brain works. So I think that an aspect of that is the self-selecting. Could I, could I do what Gray does in terms of that level of research and that level of not making your content, but just spending time investigating all of the backstory and all of the references so that after a long time, you would get to the point that you would make your, your thing. I, I don't think I'm built that way. I don't think I could work that way. I mean, I could I could do it, but it would be very painful for me to do it because my brain doesn't work like that. If you enjoy this show and would like more of this show, you should subscribe to Upgrade Plus. You'll hear no ads. You'll get bonus content every single week. You get access to the Relay FM members Discord and so many more benefits. You can go to getupgradeplus.com. It's just $5 a month or $50 a year. I feel like the conversation we just had, like talking about Jason's writing process and stuff like that, that isn't like in vibe similar to what Upgrade Plus tends to be. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so if you like that kind of conversation, I am convinced that you will enjoy Upgrade Plus. So go to getupgradeplus.com. It's just $5 a month of $50 a year. We're very thankful for the support that our members provide us. Like, you know, people that pay attention, you might notice we have one ad today. We have one ad today because it's the middle of summer and it's the last day of the month. It's just like a terrible time, right? This episode publishes on the 31st of July. And so that tends to be if we're ever going to have uh days where you know episodes where we have fewer ads it's then but me and jason don't freak out about that anymore because we have the support of people who subscribe about great plus so we're not asking for you to support the show but that is a way that the show is supported but what we're asking is for you to choose to sign up to get more content because that's what we provide you so the no ads is the is like a benefit, but what we want is for you to enjoy the content and we work to make the shows fun and enjoyable and there's lots of wacky and wild stuff, thoughtful stuff. There's good content in there. Go to getupgradeplus.com and you can sign up today. Thank you so much if you do. All right, let's finish out today's show with some ask upgrade questions. First one comes from Ryan who says, have you played any of the games that are currently featured in the Playdate catalog? 
oh, I have, but I'm not even sure I remember what they are. I have okay. played some. My, my Playdate update is the same as it was the last time we did this, which is I love it. Every time I play it, I have a great joy. I am a person who who has a great difficulty finding time to just sit down and play a game on the play date, especially since because of lighting conditions, you really need to be in a well-lit place. Um, and so, yeah, so I, 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 I still play Hypermeteor all the time. That's, that's the one I keep coming back to is just the little asteroids game. I love it so much, but I have downloaded some of the stuff in the catalog. I can't remember it. I played it a little bit, but mostly for me, it, I, I'm still like just do, 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 hypermeteor uh, is the best i love it so that's what i play most of the time but i did but i bring it with me i live in hope mike that's the funny thing about me in the in the play date is every time i go on a trip i charge the play date and i bring it with me and i think oh maybe i'll play it on the plane or i'll play it you know go to the lake in wisconsin maybe i'll play it there uh, you know go to the mountains in colorado maybe i'll play it there and i usually don't but i i live in hope because um i do love the little thing and i enjoy playing the games on it but games and me and finding the time to play games like i've been meaning to play playstation spider-man for ages and i still haven't played it oh, because Jesus, spider-man 2 is coming soon um, i know i know and it's just it's very i i don't i got a lot going on and what i found is that i just don't prioritize every time i play a game i think why am i not doing something i've got so many other things i could be doing and it's very difficult so what about you you have uh any any new uh, Playdate catalog games now you can buy because now you can buy games and download them straight to the Playdate. That's what the catalog is. I think the thing that I wanted to mention here is my favorite Playdate game is a game called Bloom. I spoke about this when the Playdate right. came out and they were having the ability for you to buy games on itch.io and Bloom was one of those games. And it is essentially like a kind of, uh, it's a very story-driven game where you are managing a flower shop and interacting with people, but it's much more about the story that you're living through with the text messages that you're seeing. There is a day-night cycle. It's really a very fascinating, very interestingly built game that kind of keeps you hooked. And, And it's one of these games that I feel like it just gives you uh, little bits every day like it is in real time like day by day like you have to play you know multiple days to get the full story um, it is now in the playdate catalog and it and has more content um, i have yet to play the additional content because there's like a it's possible to do but i have to do kind of like a save transfer thing by plugging in my playdate to my computer and like you can move the files over from one to the other in uh, yeah, but it's, you know whatever doesn't matter. Uh, but I really, really recommend Bloom. Like it's actually you know I've I've had multiple people say to me I just got a play date. What games do you like? As in like, and I think they're meaning like which from the catalog. But I say go get Bloom. It's so much worth the money. It was one of my favorite games in the year that I played it. Uh, I just absolutely adored it. It was such a beautiful experience. Yeah, uh, and I am also currently playing a few different games. They're not play date games, but I just started playing a game called Dave the Diver which is just mm. so good. It is a combination between a, like, you have to go fishing, but, like, you're diving fishing f- to, to catch fish, and that's one part of the game. The other part of the game is a sushi restaurant management sim. It is <laughs> such a weird game. It's, like, half fishing game, half restaurant management game, and it's really funny, and it's weird, and there's lots of mini games, and there's intrigue. It, like... It, what it reminds me of the most is something like a Stardew Valley. Like, if you enjoy Stardew Valley, you are going to love Dave the Diver. It has that same idea of, like, just one more day, just one more day kind of vibe to it. So if mm-hmm. you like those kinds of games, 
uh, you should check out Dave the Diver. And that, I think Dave the Diver, this is not like a, a very original thought, but I believe it too, is going to be a... Um, it's going to be a uh, like a kind of a, a, a dark horse on Game of the Year lists. It's not going to win them, but it's going to appear, and ah. which is interesting for a game of its type, especially in a game like this, where if you are a gamer, this is twenty twenty three is potentially going to be the greatest game in video, greatest year in video game history for just like the pure quality of the video games that have been released from like Legend of Zelda. Final Fantasy, Diablo, we've got Starfield coming this year, Spider-Man coming this year, and many, many, many. The list goes literally on and on for high-quality games this year. Um, Armored Core, Lies of P, like so much stuff. Do you know there's a game, Jason, I think you'll get a kick out of this. It's called Lies of P is the name of the game, mm-hmm. like the letter P. Mm-hmm. And it is a very brutal... Are you familiar with Dark Souls or Bloodborne? Have you ever heard of these games before? Yeah. Or Elden Ring, right? Right, mm-hmm. these are games where they're incredibly hard, and the combat is really hard, and like, and it's 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 kind of created a a genre of game called Souls like. So it's like dark and dingy and very tough combat. Lies of P is based on Pinocchio in this style. It is one of the weirdest like mashups of of things that I've come that I've ever come across. But yeah, it's the Pinocchio intellectual property because I believe it's in the public domain now. And uh, they've made a, a, it's a very, very tough game called Lies of P coming out. And it's based on Pinocchio. There's a Jiminy Cricket's in there and everything. Very strange. But people seem excited about it. It's not a game for me, but people seem excited about it. Hmm. Mustafa says, seeing the secrecy requirements by Apple for Vision Pro developers, like we spoke about last time, right? We would like, because the developer kits came out and there was all of the, the text that I read out about kind of like what you're supposed to do with your developer kit. Mustafa asks, what is it that prevents a developer from revealing details to the press under the condition of anonymity? How could Apple find out if their identity if it's hidden by the press outlets? Well, this is this is the question with any secret. Like, how does Apple um do this for when people leak inside Apple? Right? It's the same, it's the same question. So I think the answer is if Apple wants to try to find who they are, Apple could do stuff like reveal different things to different people and see if the things get out, if they really want to do that. I think the truth is that what will happen here is Apple is trying to make developers not do that by saying, please don't do that. Well, way more than please don't do that, right? Well, They're like, they make you sign a bunch of documents to say you won't yeah. do it. Yeah, but in the end, what they're what they're saying is don't do it. And they're sending that message. Will somebody do it? Yeah, almost certainly somebody will do it. Will they get caught? Probably not. Will it be revealed by the press? Yes. Like all those things will ha- will probably happen. But what they want to do is provide enough fear uh, for people who might be tempted so that they're like, oh no, I get, I get in real trouble with Apple if I did this. And if Apple finds out, then you're persona non grata at Apple and that's going to be very bad for you and your career as a developer. So uh, lots of reasons not to, but people do still leak. Like why do people leak things? Why do people do that? We've talked about that here a bunch. There's a lot of like reasons of like, I know a secret, but it's not good unless I can let it out or seeing it in the press and getting an ego boost because you know that was you. Um, lots of reasons why that happens, but you're taking a real risk. And all Apple can really do is make it clear that um, 
if they figure out that it's you, you're going to be in trouble and try to intimidate people into into the people who need to be intimidated. I would say most of these people are honorable, but there are people who are going to be tempted and Apple wants to make it uh, less tempting for them. But in the end, what prevents them is obscuring it enough that they think that they won't be caught. Um, Cause Apple knows who it's shown things to, right? Like, and when and what, and if it, you know, if it wants to, I'm sure that there are people at Apple who will try to figure it out. If stuff leaks, like who could that possibly be? And it's people's uh, job, right? So it is. Gonna, yeah. I'll say like, I, you know, I always want to know this information. If people give this information out and, you know, it gets written up, if there's anything interesting, we'll cover it on this show. You know, it's kind of what we do. I would just say though, like if you are a developer who gets a developer kit, don't, it's not worth it. Like, yeah, don't, it is more worth it to you to keep your relationship with Apple the way that you want it to be. This is, I'm assuming, your livelihood, right? Or like at least part of that, or you want it to be. Uh, don't. <laughs> Just keep it to yourself. It's not worth it. There is probably not going to be anything in this device that is worthy of the the information to people. Like, we've experienced it. We see it in the simulator. Like, I just think it's not, worth the risk to you and your business or the people you work for to divulge this information i just i think for this device specifically it it isn't it isn't worth it but you do you yeah also um i would say it is i would i think that apple should be encouraged to do stuff like let developers have access and Uh, get developer kits out to developers. Um, the more things happen that Apple hates about it, the more ammunition there is for people on the inside to say, we "Ah, you see, we this. should never have done this. Yes. We should have never let the hardware out the door. We should mm-hmm. never have trusted them." And um, that's not that's not good for anybody, yep. I think. But I do. I mean, I think I said this unconnected. I do think that Apple should allow some developers to talk about their experiences of using the, de- the developer kit kind oh, sure. of freely. Um, and, sure. you know, maybe that they work out some arrangements with some people to do that because I think that there is a, like, advocacy piece that, that could be very important for them. Re- remember that um, the stuff like David Smith posting about his sort of rabbit hole he went down with Vision OS, that stuff used to be not allowed. Yes. It used you to be used like to be able to not talk using... about it at all. It was 100% NDA'd, 100%. Yeah. The, all of Xcode, right? Like yeah. all of the SDK, I should say, to use it, you had to sign a blanket NDA, which is yeah. hilarious to think back in time to what that, you know, like the all of the developer tools were under NDA. Yeah, yeah. And all the betas. Yep. And even for, for me as a member yes. of the press, right? Yep. It was like, well, you would get it, but you can't write about it. And I was like, uh, and then, and that changed over time in part because people did write about it anyway. But I think you're, uh, you make a good point. Even when like, I started podcasting, I think that was the case. Like that oh, I yeah. would install the betas, but I had to talk about things I'd found online. I couldn't talk about my, it was very strange. Yeah, so... Apple benefits from David Smith writing about these issues and talking about what he learned. He's essentially creating information for all the other potential Vision Pro developers to read it and think about it and learn what he learned from him. And it's all to the benefit of Apple building this platform and having the developers get on this platform. So what you don't want is Apple saying, nobody talk about anything, right? You don't want that. And maybe 
when they're in these things, they'll say, look, you you can talk about what you learned here. Don't talk about your experience using the hardware, right? I mean, they, they, they could set some ground rules. And I think they should because it benefits them. Like the secrecy, look, what they're trying to pre- prevent is the first sort of like, I got to use a, uh, a developer kit and here's what the secret of the Vision Pro is going to be because I use Vision Pro hardware, which is a little bit silly because it's going to be Apple knows that. And so Apple's going to make the, the developer kits limited and they're not going to have the experience that we had at WWDC, right? They're not. So there are other tactics that Apple can use to prevent stories that they don't want. But this is a story that they want, right? They want developers to help other developers with their insight into what's going on. They actually want to kind of create that space. So I hope that they will open at least a little bit of space for developers to talk about this stuff. Yeah, because you're right. Like, it's not going to be the same experience. The best, the experience has already been spoken about. Like, if if we hadn't gotten the chance or the other me- members of the media hadn't gotten the chance to use this thing, then there would be more of, I think, uh, an interest, a public sure. interest for developers which to I, talk about their experience. Which I think is, it's part of the strategy that yeah. they came up with for this thing. But, and that's why I'm hopeful that this is going to be um, more open than we think it's going to be because I think personally that it's harm more harmful to Apple and to the Vision Pro platform going forward, Vision OS going forward, to create a culture of fear about talking about it than any story that could be written about the developer kit or about these developer sessions, right? And I get that there's a privacy angle here, which is Apple doesn't want people writing about the sessions and all that. And that's fine. But in a larger sense about imparting information, you know, Apple benefits from all the developers talking about this stuff. It really does. And I can't conceive of something, you know, leaking that would be more damaging because it's going to be about a beta with limited it's just not going to be that interesting and it's so far before this thing ships they're more they're going to benefit more from an open policy is what i'm saying than from than from a closed policy here there's i I don't think that that press reports about this are going to hurt them and developers talking to other developers about what they've learned will help them in the long run yeah I, i hope that we have you know a different experience here in the next couple of months than the way that it would appear to be based on the documentation that has been shared with developers, right? That like what we will see over the next weeks and months might include more freely speaking about experiences, but at first it's everyone hush hush. Right. And there and there is danger, right? There is danger that somebody's gonna say, I tried it and it doesn't it it doesn't live up to it. It's mm-hmm. the simulator is is good, but the actual hardware is bad. And yeah. everybody will be like, well, yeah, it's not shipping and it's beta and whatever. But like they they can create some clouds again. It's so far off. I, I get it, but you know, or as as our friend James Thompson says, you know, at some point when somebody gets a developer kit, they're going to be able to use it all day and say, I tried to use a, a Vision Pro all day and it hurt my head and yep. it made me very sad and that's going to be bad. Although again, Apple will say, well, but the straps aren't final and yada, yada, yada fitting and like they're going to be able to massage all of that too. I just think in the long run, 
uh, if you play that defensive game, first off, people are going to say what they're going to say regardless. Like you, you can't really control it. And what you run is for your um, developers who do care and are not going to the press to be able to express things that help the rest of the developer community because it lifts the platform, which is the goal. That's Apple's goal. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. We'll see if anything changes. I think the developers like lab things are starting now. This week? I think they've Good started as of today, developers. I think. And uh, if you've had an experience with it, send it to... Up- no, don't. No, don't. don't. We said don't, don't send it, it to UpgradeFeedback.com. We don't want it. We want you to follow your NDA and uh, learn about this OS. Yep. You can send us anonymous stuff, but we're not going to use it. Send us cryptic anonymous stuff that makes no sense, and uh, we thank you. You can always send that stuff over at UpgradeFeedback.com. Uh, yeah. Jason, I don't know if you caught it, but I, I thought it was very funny to hear on ATP the discussion of our anonymous feedback sent into us about the quad. Oh, I haven't heard that chip. yet, but that's yeah. exciting. They talk about that, yeah. which is very funny to me. Anonymous informants. Uh-huh. The anonymous informants are out there, and they send in their mm. feedback to uh, UpgradeFeedback.com, just like you can. You can also send in your questions and your follow-up there for us to discuss on a future episode. Yes. You can check out Jason's work, which you've heard all about how it's written today over at SixColors.com, <laughs> and you can hear his podcasts over at TheIncorporable.com and here on Relay FM. You can listen to my shows here on Relay FM and check out my work over at CortexBrand.com. We're on Mastodon and Threads. Jason is at JSnell, J-S-N-E. E-double-L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. And you can also find the show on Mastodon as at Upgrade on RelayFM.social. You can see video clips of the show there and TikTok and Instagram where we are at Upgrade Relay. Thank you to our members who support us with Upgrade Plus and thank you to our sponsor of this episode, Tax Expander. But most of all, thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Justin Snow. I'm always angry. That's my secret. <laughs>